Have you ever heard the story about the group of people who used religion as a poorly veiled excuse to attack people who were trying to take their money or their power away from them? Ever heard that story ever in human history? This story from Acts is a wonderful tale of power and the desire to hold on to power. It starts with a strange encounter between Paul, Silas, and their companions and this slave girl with a spirit of divination. She had a spirit, a gift, which the Bible says is absolutely not allowed, and yet this unholy, unallowed spirit gift enabled the slave girl to recognize that Paul and Silas and their companions were, as she puts it, slaves of the Most High God. In other words, this unfamiliar spirit gave her the power to see what was true about these servants of God, that they belonged to God and that they had a message of salvation to preach. What an interesting thing that that, that power, despite being an unacceptable source, is able to identify the truth. Paul, annoyed because this slave girl kept following behind them day after day after day after day, shouting out, these men are slaves of the Most High God and they preach to you a way of salvation. Paul, as any of us would, though perhaps not with the same power he had, but with the same annoyance that we would have, he spun around and said to the Spirit, I order you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And it did. What a what a remarkable expression of power. And at one level, maybe that's the first point that this story teaches us, that the power of Jesus' name and the power that the Holy Spirit gives to those who come in Jesus' name is greater than the power of other spirits, even if those spirits are able to recognize something that is true. But of course the story doesn't stop there, does it? When the owners of that slave girl discover that their means of making money was gone, they were furious. And so they stirred up the mob to get them on their side with this, this anger toward Paul and Silas. And listen again to the component, the accusation that they made against Paul and Silas. Hear the components that are present in it, the perfect recipe for such mob violence. These men are Jews, they said, identifying an ethnic group different from the dominant ethnic group. And they are advocating customs. They are suggesting ways of being that are not lawful for us as Romans to adopt. This vague accusation, the customs of this other group are threatening to those of us who are a part of the natural group and a, and a reminder not so subtle to those who adhere that we are Romans. We, we belong to the law-abiding community. We can't stand for this or there would, be, there would be chaos. We have to put an end to this and it's enough. It's enough of an invitation for the crowd to take it on even though actually Paul and Silas hadn't advocated any customs in this story that were unlawful. It was the loss of money and the loss of status that this uh, couple, these owners, had 
that led them to turn on Paul and Silas. The magistrates ordered that they be stripped of their clothes. The crowd joined in, grabbing rods, beating them. They threw them into prison, the innermost cell, we are told, and locked their feet in the stocks. But of course, that's not the end of the story either. While Paul and Silas are praying and singing hymns, the Holy Spirit comes and shakes the foundation of the prison so that the doors fling open, the stocks, the chains come unfastened. A reminder that God's Holy Spirit is what enables these apostles, enables all of those who carry the powerful name of Jesus to the ends of the earth, and that God's promise ultimately is for a vindication of those who are met with oppression or violence or threat because they carry the name of Jesus with them. The bloodless victory that the apostles have doesn't result in the death of anyone. In fact, they go out of their way to stop the guard from killing himself, and instead they offer him a message of life. What an interesting way that power works. But God's powerful victory doesn't always come that quickly, does it? It doesn't always come at midnight when the faithful people are gathered singing hymns and saying prayers. Sometimes it takes a long time for it to come. Remember in our collective memory the moments in our history when we or our brothers and sisters in the faith, those who have come before us, have used religion as a thinly veiled excuse to attack those who would try to take away our wealth or our power or our status. Think about the Crusades. Think about the role of religion in advocating for the maintenance of slavery and in another generation, the maintenance of segregation. It's been a while since we've hung someone from a tree or from the town square, since we've burned someone's body or decapitated or castrated an individual because that individual from another ethnic group dared to threaten our way of life. That's a part of our history. And we might not go to those links anymore, but we still keep people in a prison cycle that doesn't allow them access to life. We hold them at the border. We keep them in cages because we feel threatened and we use religious language in that conversation. Even the debate that we are having in our country right now about abortion has denied us the opportunity to talk about the moral issues as moral issues or the public health crisis for what it is because instead we've begun to use religion as a weapon, a weapon that would deny someone else important access to health care in the name of a religion that doesn't really look a lot like at least the religion of these apostles who are set free by the Spirit. I wonder what it would mean for us to pursue not the kingdom where we find ourselves, but the kingdom where God is calling us to be. Most of us in this room, looking around, most of us, not by choice, but by happenstance of birth, were born into a kingdom where we fit in with the majority. We represent the haves in the world. 
I doubt that Paul and Silas could have ever dreamt of a world in which those who would oppress others would do so in the name of Jesus. They were a part of a movement so new, so fragile, it must have been impossible for them to imagine that that we in the empire would ever use Jesus' name to hold someone else in bonds. But that's our history. And it's hard for those of us who are born into the empire to leave behind that empire and search for the reign of God, the kingdom of God. But that's where the Spirit leads us. That's where the Spirit always leads us. When we gather together, when we find ourselves singing hymns or not, as the case may be on Wednesday nights, when we find ourselves saying our prayers, when we find ourselves following this Jesus, searching for the Spirit's animation, the Spirit's power, a power that promises to triumph over the evils that would keep people in chains. I wonder to what extent it's your responsibility and mine to leave behind the empires of this world in search of the reign of God, a reign which is here and is coming, and yet a reign that isn't always easy for us to inhabit.